Can I help you? What do you want? Welcome back to another episode of Schooled. I'm Liv. And I'm Mel. And we are joined with a special guest who we will introduce in a few moments. But let's go ahead and jump right into the honor roll, see who's on the honor roll this week. Um, Mel, did you think of someone? I will pass. Okay. Um, I'm going to celebrate our special guest, DeAndrea, and she'll introduce, tell you a little bit more about herself a little later. But she has a very big birthday coming up. Very soon, like in tomorrow, which by the time we put this out, it will have already passed. Um, do you mind if we share your big birthday? No, I don't mind at all. She will be 40 years old. Woo! Um, Yay. Looking all of 25. I love thank black you. folks. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So that is an awesome birthday to celebrate. Um, and let's see. My celebration this week is I did not have to um, wrestle a child today. I just told him to come in, sit down, and he went to sleep. There we go. And I'm referencing a four-year-old. I'm not in middle school anymore, so it was quite appropriate for him to go to sleep today. Okay. So, um, Let's go ahead and jump right into today's topic. We are still in February and we are still celebrating love and all things connected to love and just um, people. I mean, just being humans outside of this whole profession thing, Mm because Lord, it will drag you down. But anyway, um, Melody, oh, I gave your full government. You did. I don't like that. (laughs) Don't do that. You in my business. I wonder what people thought Mel stood for. Probably Melanie because, you know. Oh, girl, Melanie? Yeah. Oh. But you in my business. Don't do that. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. (laughs) It sounded so weird coming out of my mouth. Y'all don't send me messages calling me Melody. I'm going to be like, who are you talking to? (laughs) I don't know her. I don't know her. Right. Somebody called me Olivia the other day at work, and I was just like... I don't know how I like this. Like, I don't know. But anyway, um, Mel's going to introduce our guest for the day. Yes, introducing our guest. This is my guest introduction song. Hope you guys love it. So for today, to continue our Black Love series here on Schooled, um, we have with us DeAndrea who is going to share with us a little bit about herself and um, also tell us so much information about sex, love, and relationships. And I'm going to like give a little bit about your bio, but you can add to it or whatever you would like to share as well. Um, But Deandria Blaylock Johnson is a licensed um, clinical social worker and is a licensed clinical social worker supervisor who has worked in the field of behavioral health since 2004. She is true to this, not new to this. 
Um, as the owner of Sankofa Sex Therapy, LLC, she works with individuals and those in all types of relationships and provides therapy from a Christian perspective when requested. I love that you said when requested. I do not everybody want Jesus to enter the chat. Um, Listen, because not everybody is a Christian and I definitely yes. should expect everyone to be. So, yes, yes. Hallelujah. Um, she conducts workshops about sexuality and intimacy and is a member of the Leadership Collective of the Women of Color Sexual Health Network. She also serves as a facilitator with Theater of War Productions, completing two off-Broadway runs of the critically acclaimed Antigone and Ferguson. Yes. So awesome, amazing individual, qualified, um, and here to talk to us about... Sex education, relationships, all that fun stuff in such a timely era because we just had Valentine's Day pass. It can be an interesting season for people. And I even find myself a coupled up individual having like Valentine's Day like trauma and like triggers because it's just like you see all of the things that people are doing for Valentine's Day. And you see Nick Cannon giving all of his women in his life the same gifts. And he's like, I want a room full of balloons. Why you didn't give me a room full of balloons? And then you have to remind yourself that, you know, you should feel loved and appreciated every day. But it's hard to do that in a society that tells you, like, love has to look a certain way. So and that prioritizes romantic love. I think mm-hmm. that we skip over um friendship or familial love and and we don't put it on the same level as though like romantic love is something to strive for or that it's an accomplishment but it's not it's love which is beautiful and it's amazing but I just think about the connections that I have um specifically my my sister friends you know yes then, then my I love the concept of Galentine's. Like whoever decided to make that like an actual thing and put a section of cards in Target for Galentine's Day. Shout out to you because, uh-huh. yeah, like, and I love, and I don't know if anybody else still gets this, but like my parents still send me Valentine's Day cards. Oh, it's real sweet and cute. Um, yeah. My dad is a real sweet Valentine's Day text. You know, so you do have to like start thinking about those other types of love in your life. So that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let's go ahead and jump in. We've, we've prepared a few questions for you. Um, so before we do that, though, tell the people a little bit more about yourself. Anything that you may want to share that was not included in your wonderfully written bio. I love it so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, like you said, I'm, I'm not new to this. I'm true to this. I've uh, been a social worker since 2000, really since 2003, um, but working actively in the field of mental health since 2004. And um, as working specifically as a sexuality and relationship therapist since 2011, and uh, opened my private practice in 2015. And uh, like I said, I work with people in all types of relationships and uh, all different uh, all different types of people and uh, providing those workshops and everything. Like that's something that I really enjoy doing um, for uh, 
the general public as well as for uh, other professionals to teach them how to uh, work with various populations within sexuality. I also um, wrote a book chapter recently for a forthcoming book that will be uh, basically teaching other sex therapists how to provide therapy to people of color. And the chapter that I wrote about was uh, specifically about uh, working with Black folks who are recovering from church trauma, but not wanting to completely divorce from the church. A lot of yeah, a lot of resources that are available are very white, um, but really for folks who no longer want to affiliate with the faith at all, and not a lot for people who still want to have that connection. They still identify as Christian, but have problems with the teachings of the church or just the way that they were taught in their own ministries. And so trying to help people create their own sexual ethic and their own sexual theology so that they can still maintain a connection to the faith and understand that Psalm 139 still applies to them. They're fearfully and wonderfully made. They're Imago Dei, made in God's image, how they show up in this world as a whole person. So, yeah. You're going to make me run around my living room. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's good. That's good. Because, like, I just think it's important for us, especially as Black folks, to, like, practice a pleasure theology. Because I think so much of our theology as Black people and in the Black church is based off of punishment. And, you know, we got to work harder. We got to be smarter. We have to do this. Or if you didn't do this, or we got to be, you know, prosperous because we have to do this to redeem our Blackness, essentially. And it's like, no, you can rest you can you know laugh you can enjoy your time with people um you can feel good in your skin you could have enjoyable sex like so I think that is so valuable so please tell me whenever this book chapter comes out I know I'm excited <laughs> I kind of I'll let you know, I'll let so, you know but just listening to you talk it made me think about how um and and like I said a lot of the references that I use are Christian um because that's my my framework however a lot of the ideas can be applied for people who may have other practices or no practices. But like there's a scripture that says Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. That more abundantly still means great sex. That more abundantly means enjoying all of the pleasurable things that are available to us in this life. So, yeah. So when you were talking about um, church trauma, Mm -hmm. (laughs) sexual trauma, I really started thinking about, um, what we're going to put in the principal's office today. Um, but we'll get to that. Oh, we. A reality show character. Oh, okay. We'll refer to this person as a character. Character. That is what he is. Right. So let's jump right in. Um, so, of course, we're educators and you say you also work in the education system. Um, yeah, so, a, a school social worker. And so, you know, all the struggles. <laughs> Indeed. All the struggles. But um, in thinking about sex education, um, which we know is terribly, terribly lacking across the um, across the country, really. I think I read somewhere that 
Only 33 states require some form of sex education. And then the article I read was like, um, I think Oregon feels right. Um, D.C. and one other state, maybe Rhode Island or Delaware, somewhere in that area. Um, they are the only ones that require comprehensive sex ed. So when you think about sex education, um, being that you work in social work, and I'm sure you run across many issues dealing with sex and um, sex ed, whose responsibility do you think it is? The community. <laughs> the community as a whole, because I think that you have opportunities to learn different things in different ways, presented in different ways from different people. So, um, and, and the reason why I say the community is because everybody plays a part, the whole village, right? Um, parents are responsible for providing certain education, right? Um, but as we know, not all parents have access to the same resources, and, and and that resource being knowledge. So so I can teach you what I know, but what I'm what I know may not be sufficient. And so that's where you have uh, different areas of the community who can step in. I am a big supporter of comprehensive sexuality education within the schools. Um, I think it would be amazing if we could have because there are various curricula that are already written that yeah. could be shared. Um, but because of the different guidelines and whatnots in the states, we, we're just not doing it. We're doing a horrible job of it. But I, I still think that the school has an important role that we could play um, as far as providing that information. Also, another area, the church um, or, or I'll, I'll say religious institutions. Yeah. Uh, providing sexuality uh, education from a sex positive perspective. And I know I'm asking for a whole lot with that, right? But <laughs> um, I think about how a lot of people get sex education or lack thereof from church, mm, yes, um, from their religious communities. And so it's important. Um, I, and and my answer, like I'm saying, this is a utopian world. Who would be responsible for it? Everybody. And everybody would do it well and it would be comprehensive. And I know that's not the reality, but I still think that um, the community as a whole, the village as a whole is responsible for making sure that we have this um, appropriate and full information re related to sex and sexuality. I agree. And when you were talking, I was um, we were talking about parents, you know, just providing the, the resource that they have, which is their knowledge. And um, I thought about Bridgerton. Mm. Oh, girl. Don't talk about <laughs> the lack of sex ed in oh, uh, that town. <laughs> mm. And it was so much sex. But I think it was reality. And even though a lot of people looked at that yeah. like, Oh, but that was in, you know, the 1800s or whatever, 1700s. And people are like, you know, you know, women didn't talk about that. And if you think about it, a lot of communities, black, white, brown, still don't. And, you know, people still don't have those conversations or it's considered taboo to have those conversations um, about, you know, your bodies and the things that happen and hormones and just a lot of those things that are going to happen naturally anyway as a human being. Um, 
So, yeah, I just thought it was weird how people were talking about it. Like, it could only happen in this distant past. And when I think about, I'm a high school teacher, and when I think about all the crazy sex theories that I hear from yes, (laughs) and people's children, and even adults that I work with who have some interesting viewpoints on sex and contraception, and I'm just like, that's not... That's not how how any of this works. Yeah. So it's just interesting how people just looked at that like that was a thing of the past. And I'm like, first of all, this is imaginary. A. Right. Second of all, um, this is so much of this is commentary about the present. Um, But people don't understand allegory. So, you know, neither here nor there. But I do think it's important that community is involved. But I think there's also so much of the American religious institution education system is based off of these puritanical ideas of punishment and like anything that you enjoy is supposed to be bad for you. So like... It's so interesting. There is an amazing book that um, I reference often called Sexuality in the Black Church, um, written by Kelly Brown Douglas, and she breaks it down. Um, She talks about how the idea of asceticism, um, which is you have to separate yourself from the pleasures of your body in order to get close to God. That idea is not inherently Christian, meaning that when you look at pre-Christian Hebrew religion, uh, they didn't rock like that. They understood that your body is, you know, experiencing pleasure is just a part of life. That's something that you should embrace in, in everything. The the issue is that asceticism was the philosophy of the day when the Bible was being canonized. And so just like when you're writing a book, you are influenced by the philosophy of the day, whatever that is. And so these asceticism ideas kind of seeped into the canon of the Bible. And here we are with people feeling that I can't appreciate my body. I can't. Mm-hmm. Um, experience pleasure and be close to God. Right. You said a mouthful right there. (laughs) Um, But what setting, what uh, grade level setting are you in? Are you in a high school, middle, or elementary? So I have, uh, I'm all over the place. I have two middle schools and three elementary schools. Wow. Good Lord. Wow. Um, so I work for, um, I provide specifically special education services. So okay. the way special education works in uh, St. Louis, um, it's one large district uh, that does special education for all of the schools in, a, in the counties, in St. Louis mm. County. And so um, I work at several schools, but I only work with students that have social work counseling written in their IEPs. Okay. I've never seen that before in the IEP. Um, oh, okay. But just thinking about um, what you said, the community is responsible and you definitely believe in comprehensive sex education. What age do you think is appropriate? So I, I think it's appropriate to start uh, as soon as they come out, right? And I think, um, and when I'm talking about babies. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Babies are <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and the reason why that I say that is because sometimes uh, we don't think of 
ideas like consent as being part of comprehensive reality education, but it really is. Mm -hmm. Um, The idea of teaching children the appropriate names for body parts, Mm -hmm. you know, that's part of comprehensive sexuality education. And um, one of my one of my homies, who's a wonderful sexuality therapist, Dr. Lex, she often talks about um, lessons that she shared with her babies and how they come back. Um, but she has a wonderful book called These Are My Eyes, This Is My Nose, This Is My Vulva, These Are My Toes. And mm-hmm. I've started to give that book to um, to my godchildren, um, to mm-hmm. my nieces, uh, but just so that they have that foundation. And uh, one one story, one uh, person spoke about how their, I think at that time, the child was two or three, but they were able to say, mommy, my vulva is itchy. Oh, wow. And they were able to, you know, find out what was going on. I think the baby had like a UTI or something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. But the fact that the baby was able to say this is what's bothering me and I can tell you where it is right I can tell you it's not the I, it's not the vagina mm-hmm. it's my vulva mm-hmm. right um and so with those messages but also specifically with consent understanding and giving babies bodily autonomy not forcing them to hug somebody that they don't want to hug yeah right? you know yeah. um all of these things are lessons that can be considered part of comprehensive sexuality education. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not something that has to start when you're five or when you're 12. Yeah, I don't know about you all, but I had that um, that assembly where they separated the boys from the girls. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> yeah. you know, but, but like my mom has always spoken to us about our body parts and spoken to us about... Um, consent. I have an older sister and um, like I'm I'm lucky that I was able to have that type of education at home where a lot of people did. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, not waiting for that middle school assembly. Yeah. Right. But having those conversations beforehand, specifically about naming, um, knowing the appropriate names of your body parts, about consent, um, and asking your children if it's okay to touch them, you know, um, if it's okay, okay, I need, I need to wash your bottom or, or your, you know, whatever words you're using, but making sure that you are asking for permission before you invade that child's space. So then they know if somebody does attempt to invade their space, that this is wrong. Right. And I don't have to just let somebody do that. Right, right. That's a good point. I know like I had a, they divided the fifth graders. It was in fifth grade when we like, we were divided up and it was like a series of lessons that we had And I remember being like, what? Like different world. Like it was just like crazy. And then it's like all these things started flashing back to me because I remember this moment. I have like two older sisters and one younger sister. And my older sister is much older than me. Like mm-hmm. one is 11 years older than me. The other one is 15 years older than me. And I remember asking my sister when she came home from college one weekend, I was like in fourth grade and it was around Christmas time. And you know, the Bible is talking about the Virgin Mary gave birth to Jesus. And I was trying to figure out what this word virgin meant. I just could not <laughs> 
grass. I looked it up in the dictionary. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure what virgin meant. And I asked my older sister and she was like, ask mom and daddy. She said, cause I don't think I'm supposed to talk to you about that. <laughs> oh man. And wow. I remember asking my mom and she was just like, avoid it, avoid, like just mm-hmm. avert. No, we're not talking about that. And so like, when I did eventually like start my period, mm-hmm. he left a book, like an anatomy book with the chapter about like your body and had like marked the pages with sticky notes. <laughs> Cause she was like, she wasn't doing it. You gonna read so this book? <laughs> and I read the book <laughs> and I was just like, what? Like, okay. And that was it. But I definitely had one of those parents. My, my mama and daddy are boomers. And they were just like, Same. Mine too. <laughs> like Mine I'm, not, too. I'm not doing that. And so it's interesting because I like had went away to college and like had graduated from college and we were watching like 60 minutes or something. And they were talking about like being sexually active and parents talking to their kids. I'm like 24 years old. My mama looks at me. She's like, Melody, you know, are, I just like, she's trying to have this conversation with me. <laughs> and I'm looking at her like, <laughs> <laughs> no, no ma'am we are not doing like you're not doing it are not having these conversations i'm not about to have these conversations right now like no we are not going to have that kind of parent daughter mother daughter relationship right now but and, and i think like that's one thing it's important to make sure that you have those um those open lines of communication so that you do feel comfortable having those conversations later um, I think about my um, soon after I got married, I'm, I'm widowed, but uh, soon after I got married, one of my nieces came over and I think she was seven and I'm a sex therapist. So I got, she was, she's an avid reader. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and has been since she could read. Um, but she was just looking on my bookshelf and of course I've got all the sex books or whatever. And so she comes to me and my family nickname is Cookie. And she says, Cookie, I was looking at your books and there's a book that says Good Girl's Guide to Bad Girls. Hmm. And she just looks at me. She doesn't say sex, but she looks at me. And I said, so let me explain to you what T.T. Cookie does. So, you know, I'm a counselor, right? She said, yeah. I said, well, the kind of counseling I do, I help mommies and daddies have fun in the bedroom. For her seven-year-old mind, she was like, oh, okay. And that was all the explanation that she needed at that time. Did I feel awkward? Oh, yes, I did. (laughs) Was I like, oh, what am I going to say? How am I going to say this? What do I... I But that was my stuff to to deal Mm -hmm. with at that time. I had an, an incredibly intelligent, inquisitive baby in front of me. And I think... If my reaction would have been, girl, why are you looking at my stuff? Like that, yeah. would, mm-hmm. you know, but it was like, let me answer this on an age appropriate level. Right. Remember my auntie there, uh, the grandma was there and um, she was just like, I love how you answered that. I was like, well, I know what I was going to say, but <laughs> right, <laughs> this is just what we, this is what we do. So, um, yeah, I, I just think that 
in, in addition to um, having that comprehensive sexuality education, making sure that when children ask those questions, even if you don't know the answer or don't know how mm-hmm. to answer the question in that moment, not um, squashing their curiosity, yeah. giving them that space to to you know continue to ask questions. And if you don't know, say, you know, I, I really don't know. Or, you know, I'm not sure how to answer that right now. But can I give you an answer in a little bit? Yeah. Babies are forgiven. Yeah. <laughs> and so you kind of touched on like some of the benefits of starting early for, you know, with comprehensive sex education um, and touched on that a little bit. But can you also talk a little bit about how a lack of comprehensive sex education impacts adults? Um oh. Goodness. Well, so as you brought up Bridgerton, right? Um, I'm thinking about how often, um, specifically, um, uh, women and girls and people with lived experience of misogyny may have been socialized to uh, not self explore, not masturbate. And they're not familiar with how their bodies work. And so they may enter relationships with the expectation that my partner will know how to please me. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and, and, and just not, not really knowing their own anatomy. Um, I get a lot of times where people uh, will say, oh, I've never had an orgasm. And it's like, okay, well, let's see, like, how are you defining an orgasm? Um, and, and let's talk about what it really is. Um, and then also understanding that most people with vulvas need direct clitoral stimulation in order to have an orgasm, but they're socialized to think I need to have an orgasm through penetrative sex. Mm. And that don't work with most bodies that are made like that. So as an adult, <laughs> right? <laughs> not understanding how your body works, not understanding what gives you pleasure. Like that can definitely not only impact your relationships, but also impact how you relate to yourself as a human. If you're not able to um, know how to be in your body and live in your body comfortably, like that can definitely affect how you interact with other folks. Mm. That makes me think about um, when you said just not knowing your anatomy and that type of thing. Like I'm a huge advocate of menstrual cups. I think Mm -hmm. they are game changing. And so when I talk to people about them, they're just like, what? It goes where? I'm like, (laughs) y'all can't see my face, but the face I'm making is just like, what are are you talking about? You don't know your body. Yeah. it, but it, it still amazes me. But a lot of people don't. Like, I remember in college, every year on V-Day, they would have the vagina monologues come. And I would always go because, you know, that's just who I am. And so I remember afterwards, I was having a conversation with either somebody that lived in my dorm. I don't even remember. But they were just like, yeah, that whole masturbation scene was, like, really weird. And, like, why would someone want to, like... And I'm like... Cause it feels good. Cause y'all, I'm like like sitting there like, so wait, but if you know, of course, like you're a college, like freshman, sophomore, you just like, okay, I'm not going to say what I'm thinking, but I'm just kind of like, 
so wait, other women don't masturbate? Like, it's, <laughs> and then I was just sitting there, like, kind of like, wow, like, because they were all just talking about, like, you're not supposed to do that. And I was just like, but how do you find out what you do and don't like? Exactly. Because I can't, I can't tell you what to do if I don't know. You know, if I don't know what's going on, what's there, where. And I realized, like, as an, a full adult, you know, as a baby adult then, <laughs> as a real adult, like, I would know so many, like, of my, like, friends and people that I've been around who, like, just stay in relationships with people and have bad sexual relationships. Oh, my gosh. And then go to work angry. And go to work angry. Like, it is your fault because your fault. they don't know their own bodies and it's just uh-huh. like you know and then also like going back to what we were talking about earlier about consent like because if you're not enjoying it you can tell somebody to stop but I also think a lot of women specifically don't really feel like that is an option mm-hmm. and so like with my classes my ninth grade classes we just got done reading today the house on mango street Mm. which, you know, has a lot of, it brings up a lot of interesting conversations around consent and ideas of sex and what you think romance is or love is. Um, And so it's just interesting, like having those conversations with ninth graders in terms of a literary context, in terms of how they understand it and um, their responses in those situations, because also thinking about what they would say as ninth like graders in 2021 is not what my ninth graders would have said in 2015. No, not at all. You know what I'm saying like when conversations about consent are not, we're not as informed, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just interesting where, you know, like hearing like ninth grade boys, like, no, like he should have stopped. Like she, you know, like he should have stopped. I love that. Being, you know, like social, emotionally aware of other people's, you know, emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. being able to understand and read that in the text and understand what that would look like as young men, um, I think is really cool. So, and that's really me having to be like, you know, so this is consent, like, you know, we're able to have those conversations around the literature as well. So mm-hmm. just a little sneaky tidbit for those of you who wonder how you sneak it in there. So. And that's exactly it. Like, because um, the the rules and the laws are so different across the country, you do have to find ways to kind of sneak it in some sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. That was one of my favorite things to do um, when I taught eighth grade. Just, again, some of the conversations around some of the texts that we would read and the questions that would come up or just the random conversations they would want to have with me in the hallway. It's like, oh, well, this is my opportunity to um, give you a little bit of knowledge. But you do have to be very covert about how you do it. You do. Depending on your district or your school, and especially like with both – uh, with Mel and I being in the South, um, it is, you do not do that you at do. all. And I, I often, if it's one of those conversations where a student is asking me something, I definitely am like, well, look, do you want, and I show them my badge, do you want school district employee to answer the question? The school district employee may have to go tell somebody what you told them afterwards. So I just want you to know 
that if you tell me something that I feel like is something that I need to report, I'm going to go tell. There is no privacy. None. Between us. Um, so I just want you to know before I, you know, before you want me to listen to whatever story, and usually they don't tell me. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, you know, but also even having conversations with students about like just little relationship things like, you know, a boy breaks up with somebody or, you know, a girl is like, you know, I think I like girls now. Like just, you know, like them trying to grapple through that part. And it's just kind of like, you know, it's okay to not like somebody and want to go talk to somebody. Like, that's fine. And, you know, not everybody's going to like you. And you're going to have to learn how to process that. Mm -hmm. I deal with that, too. Because I see a lot of students that and adults who don't know necessarily how to process rejection um, that's tied to their physical bodies or their physical relationships that they've had with people. Because I... You know, sometimes I get on Instagram and I just watch y'all. But I see a lot of people talking about things that happened to them when they were like 12 or 13 and somebody said they were ugly and they're like, you know, I feel like that's oppression, that you weren't oppressed because somebody made fun of you in middle school. Like, but I think so many people have internalized those things that are said to them when we're all ugly middle schoolers. And... (laughs) Suddenly yeah. that has that has impacted how they like show up in relationships or whether that's friendships with other people or yeah. whether that is in a romantic sense. So I just think, you know, it's something that people should you have to learn how to be comfortable with you first. You do. You know, as a therapist, I'm a grand supporter of therapy. Uh, work through that stuff with somebody who is paid to provide a safe uh, non-judgmental common space for you. And if I make make a public service announcement, that person is not Instagram or Clubhouse. Mm. Mm. <laughs> you are not getting therapy services in Clubhouse or somebody's Instagram live. Mm-mm. Can I also say, and this might be slightly problematic, but can I also say your pastor is not your therapist? Oh, we, because your pastor is not trained to be your therapist. Not at all. Not. Mm. So I am. That's um, episode. <laughs> right. I am. Um, I'm in premarital counseling now. And so I was adamant about not going to a pastor. I said, no. I we need to go to somebody who is trained to do this, who has a license, <laughs> who is gone through some education because no, what is your pastor going to tell us about mm-hmm. how to be married? Like, no, I was so disappointed with the, um, the premarital counseling that I got. And I, and we went to uh, my pastor and my late husband's pastor as well. Both wonderful men of God. I oh, yeah. and honor them for, for show. Right. But Um, as a therapist, I was expecting something different Mm. than what I received. Um, and it was more so, uh, wedding preparation Mm. than marriage preparation. Mm. Um, now one pastor did offer us like a workbook that another, another member had put together. It wasn't a very good workbook, but it was a resource that he had. And I'm judging because I'm a therapist, right? But, (laughs) um, but it was a resource that he had. And I do know that 
other couples did have more extensive things, uh, more extensive sessions. But I think because we were in a good place, it was like, oh, y'all Gucci. All right. Let's right. Right. Um, however, I do. Um, I, I, I also support going to someone who was not necessarily like you have some some pastors who may have counseling training, right? Yeah. But I I think that you need to go to someone who is a trained therapist to get therapy. So, so I have a question. Mm-hmm. So do you all feel like you should go to someone who is also a neutral party? That absolutely. Because I, I feel like a lot of times pastors have this. In, or spiritual leaders who know both parties ha- are also infested in some way. Yeah, I think that a lot of times they are invested in the relationship working, mm-hmm. right? Whereas sometimes if you go to a therapist, although they may not come out and say, y'all need to be together, um, they may ask you questions that, that, um, where the answers may reveal different things mm. to you where you can make your own decision. Mm. Yeah. That was one of the first things the therapist told us. She said, um, the relationship is my client. I don't know mm-hmm. either of you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that. I was like, okay, this is great. I like that's, that. That's how I operate too. I like that. I, I say the exact same words. Cause yeah. Um, we would have been going to his pastor who, and they have a very strong relationship. Now I, I just shut that down. Like, no, we're, we're not doing <laughs> that. that. Work. Yeah. Then be looking at me sideways. So, right. Anyway. <laughs> um, so in a perfect world, well, not perfect world, perfect world would be comprehensive sex for everybody, but uh, Bible built. So what is what do you think are the bare minimums that um, school should be providing as it relates to sex ed? The bare minimum should be comprehensive, but um, <laughs> right. For real, like real talk. It should be. Because what research shows is that um, when comprehensive sexuality education is provided, the age of sexual initiation is delayed you're able to make um, different decisions because you're armed with full information. Mm-hmm. What they've also found is that when there is abstinence only se- sexuality education, there is increased rates of teenage pregnancy, right? Um, often because uh, kids are still going to have sex, but they just don't know how to prevent pregnancy if they don't want to be pregnant. So like, I hear the question, but for real, for comprehensive sex ed needs to be the minimum. Like, um, I agree. But like, if if it can't be accurate um, biological information mm-hmm. about how our bodies work, um, but even with that, it still needs to be more. And I think I agree because. If no one hasn't told you guys, we're still living in a pandemic and a whole panini press. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I feel like there, you know, because there's a lot of misinformation out here about the panorama. So uh-huh. with that being said, a lot of that also comes from people just not understanding anatomy 
not understanding, yeah. you know, bodies and how your body works in general. And I think all of that goes together because I'm going to keep it hot. There's only so much that, like, dissecting a frog taught me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I It probably would have been more useful for you to explain acid reflux to me <laughs> in ninth grade. Time. Definitely. <laughs> then explaining, like, dissecting a pig or, you know, whatever it is. Like, because realistically speaking, like, yeah, that was a cute memory or whatever. But what am I going to do with that in life? But we all have our own bodies and we're all human beings and we need to know how that works and how we can take care of other people mm-hmm. um, and take care of, you know, one another in turn. Because it just amazes me how so many people had so much misinformation about COVID and COVID spreading. And it's just like, what don't y'all understand about backing up? Like staying six feet away from each other. In the year of our Lord, 2021, when Beyonce's internet is still free and you can access appropriate, correct information, some people, there's still willful ignorance. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of it. And even when people, I'll never forget this moment. I was teaching 12th grade, and I think I've talked about this on here before. So listeners, if you've heard this story before, bear with me. But I was teaching 12th grade. It was my first year teaching. I It was Black History Month, and we were, I don't even know what we were reading, or a student was doing a presentation. I don't even know how this came up. But somehow or another, we're looking at that picture of a diagram of a slave ship and the way the bodies are laid on the slave ship or whatever. And I had a student that says it was a girl, okay, 17 or 18 by this point. And she was like, well, I don't understand how they have periods. And I said, what you mean you don't understand? Because, I mean, I be, like I am 23-year-old me is flabbergasted. And I am just like, what you mean you don't understand? Like, it's... I can explain it, but I think it's pretty self-explanatory that it was just all there. And she's just like, but that doesn't make sense. And I'm like, I think she's just like horrified by this idea. No, 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 no. This baby thought that since they didn't have pads and tampons back then, she understood that much. But she thought because that wasn't there, there was no way that people were having periods. Oh, baby. And I was like, so wait, I said, sugar pie, honey bunch. The, the like, the sanitary napkin or whatever you choose to use is not what causes that. No. It's a, it's a cycle. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, because also Bible Belt, <laughs> like, I'm just like, you know what, don't take the bait. Because I'm like, I know this girl got a period. I know she is. I know by now. now. So I'm just like, you know what? I'm not. So I just, I literally was just like, I was like, no, that's, that's literally not how that works. Go home, Google it. Um, I was like, you could type in period or menstrual cycle, either or it'll explain. I said, watch a YouTube video that will explain it. Um, because she did not understand all the inner workings that go with that. Like, wow. And that was the moment that I was going, baby, we need sex ed. 
because there's Wait, no me. reason why you should be in the 12th grade out here. I don't know what she was doing, but I'm going to assume she was having sex, you know, or potentially cuddling up with somebody and not understand how your body works. Mm-hmm. I feel like there are a lot of people and I could be wrong. And if I'm wrong, whatever. But I feel like there are a lot of people walking around with kids who don't understand how their bodies work. Oh, I definitely believe it. I Too many. Too many. Yeah. A lot of times people are, um, they don't even realize that they've had sex because they didn't understand what sex is, you know? Um, it, it definitely happens, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And y'all walking around singing hotels and want to sit on it and don't know nothing about. <laughs> not, not one don't thing. Know nothing about. <laughs> oh my word! And I want to say, um, no, I'm trying to remember. Oh, so there was a a teacher that I know, um, and she she was pregnant, and so. Um, she was like, you know, that wasn't even my plan. Like, I don't even know how I got pregnant. <laughs> and so me and the other person in the room was just like, well, never mind. It's too easy. We're not going to do that. <laughs> it's like, mm, no, we're not going there with you because you are teaching. You're a teacher. You're teaching the uh, future and you don't know how you got pregnant. Get, mm, that's <laughs> I think sometimes people feign or feign. I never say that word right. Is it feign or feign? Feign. Yeah. Sorry, y'all. Whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Sometimes people feign in ignorance because they don't want to be accountable. Oh, absolutely. For their decision that they made. Because I personally believe I've been, and I've watched that show, like, I didn't know I was pregnant and all those. And, you know, I think that, that there are those, like, you know, those random outlier experiences that like, you know, pop up happen. People really didn't know, didn't expect it. Totally get that. Got it. They knew how they got pregnant though. Yes. (laughs) I feel like if you are a woman of a certain age with all of your mental faculties, you know how your body and your, your, you know how your stuff come around. You know how things feel a little different when you're ovulating so I just don't believe in people getting pregnant on act like didn't know on accident. Oh my gosh, I wasn't expecting like because you know when something's off. Now you may been, you may not have tracked it like you want, but you felt when things felt a little bit different. When you felt just a little bit too sassy, you felt a little you know frisky. <laughs> you kind of you know know. So a lot of times when I hear people of a certain age. Like, oh my God, I, you know, this was a surprise. No way, girl, because you knew you went and you were like, I'm gonna sit on it. And you were feeling frisky. You knew, you knew, you knew what it was. You knew what what it was. You knew what it was. And then also, like, a lot of times when I have conversations with people who like pop up pregnant, quote unquote, you're right. Surprise. I'm just like, oh, well, did y'all use protection? They're like, no. Well, what 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 are we supposed to do with this? Right. <laughs> we know that sperm meets egg, and and if you want to prevent 
sperm from eating egg. We have lots of technological yes. advances and, that can help with com- preventing that. And like, I, I know that people can still get pregnant, you know, using condoms and of course. control and contraceptives. But I have yet to run into somebody who gives that whole like, oh, I'm surprised, like who was practicing safe sex ever. <laughs> like, so I can yeah. I've gotten to an age where now when I hear that, I'm just like, mm, whatever, girl. Mm-hmm. Tell me where you registered. And yeah, just, just let me know <laughs> what the name under on, at Target so I can give <laughs> you a little money. Like, girl, get out of here. Right. Oh, my gosh. All right. So before we head to the principal's office, Deandre, any parting words for our listeners who are mostly educators? Um, any parting words for them? Um, learn to be comfortable with yourself and your own uh, knowledge base around sex and sexuality, and also know what resources you can go to when students come to you for things that you don't know the answer to. I don't know is a perfectly okay answer as long as it's followed up with, let me connect you to somebody who can help you. Um, so yeah, that's the biggest thing. Cause I, I just think about how, although I'm a school social worker, I'm also a sexuality and relationship therapist. And so when it's sex stuff or, you know, gender stuff, or whatever they like, well, I can't help you miss Blaylock. Um, <laughs> come talk to this baby. <laughs> okay. And often I'm not doing anything but listening and, yeah. and providing a safe, non-judgmental place. Mm. But Knowing what resources that you have available, knowing that if you don't know, that's perfectly okay, but connect them with someone or an organization or whatever who can provide that additional support. Hmm. So the next time one of those first graders comes to me and say, where do babies come from? I'm be like, um, so let me connect you to the yeah. school nurse. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But I think absolutely. that's a great, like just best practice for educators in general, like, absolutely, you know, you, I think so much, we feel like we have to be the center of knowledge. And sometimes like, like what you just said, like sometimes they just want someone to listen to them, mm-hmm. talk it through a little bit, mm-hmm. they'll come to their own conclusion or answer. And so I just think that's a great best practice. Like let them know, connect them with resources. Um, you know, knowing where those resources are because you cannot be all things to all people. Exactly. Yeah. So, and we talk about it all the time on here that um, if you feel ill-equipped to handle something, that you do need to reach out and let somebody else handle that, or mm-hmm. um, increase your knowledge so that you do feel equipped to handle it. So, right. That goes for everything. Um, but let's go ahead and jump into the principal's office. I enjoyed this conversation. I oh, one last thing. Uh, teachers, educators, fellow public school employees, if you're in public school, um, if you need air- help in the area, find you a sex therapist. So y'all stop being angry in the hallways. <laughs> stop being hater teachers. When I tell you I end up providing sex therapy to my coworkers too. Mm-hmm. I mean, because that's what some of y'all just need. Mm-hmm. You just need your back blown out one good time. But and anyway. Rotated. That's it. Just one good, one good time. <laughs> you need your backbone. Hey. Well, look. 
last thing I remember specifically, we were in third grade and <laughs> we were waiting in the hallway at the bathroom. And um, this girl beside me, she said, I think this teacher's name was like Clendenin or something. She was like, Miss Clendenin is happy today. She must have got some booty last night. And I was just like, me in third grade, I didn't know what any of that was. I was just like, but you remembered it. So you put, I remembered it because the teacher turned around and said, you said what? And then she got in trouble. (laughs) So that was like a memory that stuck with me. That's awesome. So your kids might be saying the same thing about some of y'all. So just be, just be. Oh, listen, (laughs) some of y'all be acting on these internet streets. It's starting to seep out of the school and your attitude is starting to be everywhere now. So, you know, maybe you just need to mm, get some bedroom candy, some, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Lilo had a sale this past weekend. You should have hit that up. I love Lilo. What is Lilo? We can talk about it. We'll talk about it. Yeah. Um, is, as long as you're not on your school computer. I am not. Um, oh my. So in the principal's office this week, I think we've all put this person in the principal's office because we are currently recording during um, what is typically known as Married at First Sight time, Wednesday night. And um, this season of Married at First Sight has been a hoot. <laughs> That's a word. I feel like they set that girl up. They set up Paige. Mm. Um, if you have not watched this season, they're back in Atlanta um, because it was the only city open in the Panini. And, you know, that's sad. They had to pick a city that was going to be reckless enough to let them record. But, okay, moving on. Right. And, I mean, they're living because everything is open. So, they're based in Atlanta, but then they honeymoon in another reckless city, which is uh, Vegas. (laughs) But, you know, I didn't even realize, like, I kept wondering, like, are they recording this during the pandemic or is this before the pandemic? Because I was maybe 45 minutes into that first episode before I even saw anybody with a mask on anywhere. Well, yeah, of course, they're like super tested and all of that stuff because they're filming. But yeah, it's, um, it's wild. The last season ended probably around July or so and they were in New Orleans so they filmed when everything um, got shut down and their season was even extended because of mm-hmm. the start of the pandemic but um, this season there's a young lady named Paige who is um, I guess you would call her a typical church girl mm-hmm. and um, a typical well not typical what you a lot of people picture as like Typical church dude who is just, ooh, he's the drummer, the drummer guy. Mm. <laughs> has been through everybody. Mm. Mm, 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 mm. So um, if you have not caught up with this season, it is only on episode like four or five. So you still have time to catch up. Yeah. Tune in. It is foolish. Like one part of me is tuning in just because it's entertaining. And the other half is like, ugh. This is, this feels gross. Like, why did they do her like that? That's the thing that I'm kind of like, I don't know if I want to, because, you know, I've been very mindful of, I like to watch things that bring me joy. I watch The Bachelor because it's ridiculous and it gives me a good teehee occasionally. (laughs) It's just so ridiculous. It's just so, like, 
I'm like, we need bingo cards for every time that this man says, you know, I'm going to follow my heart. Like, we need, you know, we need, like, he said it at least eight times an episode. I just, you know, I had to follow my heart. And I, the current bachelor, the current Matt. Yes, the black man can. That's what I call mm-hmm. him, black man can. Um, but yeah, every time he gives this ridiculous line about following his heart, and you know, thank you for being vulnerable with me. He literally says the same thing to every girl every episode. And they are head over heels in love with this man. And I'm like, you literally, like, nobody knows anything about this guy other than he's black. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I don't know what his profession is or anything. You don't either, child. Um <laughs> He just got a little piece of money and he tall. I feel like when you're like, because he tall, he just gets like, it's like, oh, he's, you know, because I'm like, he literally has said nothing this whole season. Where did the money come from? I think he's in finance. I don't know. know. But either way, I watched Married at First Sight just like for the same reason that I watched The Bachelor and the same reason that I watch. um, What's that show on TLC that's terrible? Uh, 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> like, I watch it for the same thing. It is like, a, you know, a little good escape. And most of the time on Mar- Married at First Sight is typically tamer than the rest of these shows. Yeah. And it usually has a cute little cup, but it's just like this one. I was just like, I don't know if I want to see this because this is going to make me mad. And I usually don't like watching things where black women get treated any kind of way. So, yeah. But I did hear um, rumors and like spoilers that they may not make it to Decision Day. So they may not be on too much longer, but I don't know. Mm, Okay. Well, I know a lot of people are saying holding, they want to hold the matchmakers accountable because they feel like they did it. For sure. Yeah, I just wonder because there's so there's so much Um, they I've seen a couple of them appear and say that they were blindsided as well. Um, But like we found old boys engagement video on YouTube. (laughs) Somebody sent me that. (laughs) Yeah, apparently he had been engaged no like three months before starting the show. And I know they have their vetting process sometime in that time. So I feel like he was low-key engaged when he some somewhere those like timelines enter had to overlap. But he's also trash. So Yeah, don't I feel like he had other intentions and from the first episode that I saw, and this is not any spoilers, he had his pastor on there because, you know, he's real, you know, churchy type. He was a pastor or a pastor. He's a minister. minister. He's a minister. Yeah. You know, he's a high value man. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> high value men have entered the chat. Um, but when I saw that first episode and he was with his pastor, I was like, his pastor don't even look like his pastor just, just, his pastor just didn't even look right. It looked shady. The whole yeah. thing looked shady. And I was just like, mm-mm, mm-mm. but then when you saw his parents and how they talked to the, to Paige, I said, oh, okay. Yeah. This is how we ended up with this. Yeah. When when she had said, now I I have feelings, or well not feelings, thoughts about her talking with his parents about sex. I get that, like, 
but he's also manipulative how he flipped that back on her like he's such but anyway but when she said that to his parents and his mom was like well drunk what I was oh I lost it (laughs) I said what Mm-hmm. Are you serious right now? I just don't know what they, I don't know. I just feel like if you're vetting these people the way they claim they vetting these people, but then again, they've always had one fall through the cracks every season. Some, yeah. Somebody who's real, not marriage material. And I'm just like, y'all want people to trust this process. And, you know, we, you know, I'm a, I'm a therapist. I'm a pat. What is it? A therapist, a pastor, or two therapists, a pastor, and a matchmaker. Uh-huh. And I was like, so he got crossed off three. You like y'all all saw that and was like, oh, okay. And then the other thing, he not even all that. For him to ask not him, at no, all. No, he, no. Like I was looking not at. at him, like, Please don't act that fine. No. <laughs> and I try not to say that because it plays into, you know, but I'm just like, oh, you know, you're not even that cute. You look dusty. <laughs> he was like, I got to go get my hair cut. I can't be looking like this. I was just like, wait, that's what you went and got done. <laughs> Cringe. So he definitely belongs in the principal's office. Um he will remain there for yeah for as long as he's on the show, and it it sucks too because like New Orleans was such a great season, mm. and it was just, it just gave you all the lovey doveys. Like, oh, this is so beautiful, and then you have this trash season. So mm. I don't know. Um, anything else y'all want to put in the principal's office? Well, since we were talking about hair, um, I just wanted to mention. Tory Lane's hair. I don't know if you have a picture of Tory. What is it? I need to Google it. Oh girl. Um Google. it's rough. He needed he need his replacement unit. That's all. Yeah, and they said he had at some point gotten hair plugs, but the joke is that the plugs didn't take because of all the terrible things he's been doing. So it's karma. <laughs> what is this? Yeah. Oh no! Yeah, so I feel like if you need a good giggle, and if you would like to see Tory Lanes get his, you know, just desserts, go Google a picture of his head. <laughs> oh my gosh, it fell out. I don't know where it went. Like when I first saw it, my first inclination, like that, I asked myself, and I actually asked it out loud because I was on the phone with Brittany. I was like, "Is he on drugs?" Oh my goodness! Cause I, he could wear a hat or something. I'm just not understanding why he was out here in the street like that. Out here looking like he was looking. Yeah. This article says. Um, this article has somebody's so uh, tweet in it, and it says, "I can see why Tory Lanez gets angry easily." Oh, and it has like his little. <laughs> you know, and like. And and I want to be clear, we're not shaming anyone for hair loss, right? No. No. It's, it's him. It's him. That's him. It is literally him. just him. He looks like, he kind of reminds me of like um, a vampire in Brooklyn. <laughs> Dwayne Wade. I can't think of his real name right now. Kadeem Hardison. When he started like deteriorating. That's oh my how gosh, Will. And I just also, 
yeah, if you just want a little good giggle, go look that up. And also go watch um, Buried by the Bernards. Yo, yes. <laughs> now, what is this? It's a reality TV show, um, short form um, on Netflix. Episodes are only 24 minutes long. You can eat it during, you can watch it during your lunch break while you eat, teachers. Um, <laughs> I was about to say, what lunch break? <laughs> yeah, you know, a quick giggle. Um, it'll give you a good hearty, you know, chest laugh. I stay off the internet for three weeks and miss all kind of food. You sure did. You surely did. Come back. No, I need to let it cool cool off for a little bit before I step back online. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh man. Well, thank you so much, DeAndrea, for joining yes. us. It is. Um, it has been a joy to have you on here. And y'all, she has a beautiful smile. I wish she is. Know. It's just so warm and happy. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So that we know this episode was a little different, but again, however, everybody needs it. Yes, absolutely. Thank you all so much for having me. Anytime, anytime. All right, y'all, we will chat with y'all soon. I will stop saying next week because life is happening. And so <laughs> we'll chat with y'all soon. Yes. All right. Bye. Bye.